Thank you, and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, you recently spoke to a group of teenagers, and they had a number of questions. Mm -hmm. In our previous program, you discussed a question about the differences in the creation accounts recorded in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And in today's program, you want to talk about another question you were asked. Yeah, Scott. And let me suggest, if a listener is interested in that issue of the different accounts recorded in Genesis 1 and 2 and didn't hear our discussion about it, you can hear that program on the Scripture on Creation podcast. Its title is, Do Genesis Chapters 1 and 2 Contradict Each Other? And for those who don't normally listen to podcasts, another easy way to listen to past episodes of Scripture on Creation programs is through the website. Mm -hmm. Go to scriptureoncreation.org. At the top of the homepage, click on the radio tab, and in the drop-down menu, the first item is podcast. <laughs> click on podcast, and you'll have access to hundreds of Scripture on Creation programs. Well, thanks for giving out that information, Scott. Now then... The question I'll address today is one that is fairly common, like the one concerning Genesis 1 and 2. And what's interesting is part of the answer for both questions involves the same explanation. Really? Yeah, so let's read the question, Scott. Okay, this question was from Tim from Parts Unknown. <laughs> he asked, in Genesis 10, it mentions Peleg was born when the earth divided. Could this be when the continents divided? This would explain how animals wound up in certain parts of the world, especially the episode you talked about marsupials in Australia. So apparently, Tim listened to the program we recently aired about questions that are difficult for creationists to answer. Mm -hmm. You consider the phenomenon of the prevalence of marsupials in Australia to be one of those questions. Yes, and the program I discussed at that issue was titled, Creationists Don't Have All the Answers, Part 1. Available on the podcast. <laughs> yes, but we'll not go over that information again. Let's consider Tim's question. First, he points out that Genesis chapter 10 mentions the birth of Peleg. Why is that? Why was he born? I don't know, probably for the usual reasons. <laughs> I don't mean, why was Peleg born? <laughs> I mean, why would his birth be mentioned in Genesis chapter 10? Um, well... Okay, Scott, it's because Genesis chapter 10 is a genealogy. Oh, okay. And the generations from Noah to Peleg are listed in it. Genesis 10 is, in fact, a very famous chapter to historians of the ancient Middle East. It's called the Table of Nations because many of the persons named in it are also the names of nations which existed in ancient times. Now, we're not going to read the whole genealogy. Thank you. <laughs> Scott, what if you were mentioned in that genealogy? I'll bet you'd be happy to read it then. Well, maybe, but pronouncing all those strange names gets me all tongue-tied. <laughs> well, I can understand that. But we still are going to have to pronounce some of these patriarchs' names. <sighs> so, read the introduction to the genealogy of Genesis 10. That's verse 1. Now, these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and sons were born to them after the flood. See, that was easy. Yes. And what we find there is the standard Hebrew practice of beginning a genealogy or a narrative paragraph with a summary statement. And we'll also find a similar summary statement at the end of the genealogy. Yeah, that's right. In the previous program, you pointed out that Hebrew literature often brackets a paragraph with similar summarizing statements. So now read the final verse of Genesis 10, Scott. 
Genesis 10.32 These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, by their nations. And out of these the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. Now notice then, verses 1 and 32 indicate that the material recorded in between is the genealogy of Noah and his sons. And what we won't read in verses 2 through 5 is the record of the sons of Japheth. Now then, in verses 6 through 20, the descendants of Ham are listed. So now let's read verse 6, which is very interesting to the historians. And the sons of Ham were Cush, and Mitzrayim, and Put, and Canaan. Do those names sound familiar? It's what you said, Dr. Scripture. The names of some of the persons listed are also the names of nations or groups of people. Canaan, for example. He must have been the one that the land of Canaan and the Canaanites were named after. And isn't Mizraim the name for Egypt? Very good, Scott, yes. And Cush is an ancient nation that coexisted to the south of Egypt, where Ethiopia is today. And Put may be the region west of Egypt, where Libya is today. So, those sons of Ham all apparently were the sources of people who went south into the continent of Africa, except for one. Now read Genesis 10, 8, and 9. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And here is verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erek and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Now, Scott, do any of those names stand out to you? Well, Babel is where the events at the Tower of Babel happened. And Babel is in the land of Shinar, right? Exactly. So Nimrod was the king of Babel, as well as other cities that were parts of his kingdom, which was not in Africa, but in the region we call Mesopotamia, or Assyria and Babylon, that is in the Middle East. And one other thing to note is in verse 7, which lists the sons of Cush, it does not mention Nimrod. Hmm. Verse 8 says, Cush became the father of Nimrod. You know, the King James uses that old familiar term, begat Nimrod, which simply means Cush was the ancestor of Nimrod, not necessarily his father. He could have been his grandfather or a great-grandfather or even further back. But Nimrod, the one known as the Mighty One, apparently was also the one who tried to build the Tower of Babel. The name Nimrod means, we shall rebel. And when God scattered the people at the Tower of Babel, the descendants of, for example, Ham, went south into Africa. But Nimrod must have been the strongest of them all, and he said, I'm not going anywhere. The rest of you must leave. And we didn't read their names, but the descendants of Japheth must have gone north. One of the sons was named Magog, another name for the region of Russia. Right. And that's mentioned in Genesis 10, too. And after the genealogy of Ham, in verses 6 through 20, the sons of Shem are recorded in verses 21 through 31. And it is in Shem's family tree that Peleg is mentioned. 
So remember, the descendants of Japheth, Ham, and Shem are all being produced at the same time. They are all coexisting with one another. And as we're told in chapter 11, they were not spreading out. They all spoke the same language. And when they came to the plain of Shinar, they all settled there. And it is your opinion that Nimrod was the ringleader in their rebellion against God. Well, he surely may have been. He seems to have been the most powerful of those in charge. So, now we need to read what it says about this person mentioned in the question we're entertaining, Peleg. And to do that, we need to read verses 21 through 25. You start, Scott. And also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, and the older brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem were Elam, and Asher, and Arpachshad, and Lud, and Aram. And the sons of Aram were Uz, and Hul, and Gether, and Mash. And Arpachshad became the father of Shelah, and Shelah became the father of Eber. And verse 25 is the verse that brings up our question. And two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. What follows then are the names of the ten sons of Joktan, but nothing more about Peleg. Hmm. However, in chapter 11, a longer genealogy of Shem is recorded, and we learn there that Abraham is the descendant of Shem through Peleg. You know what that means, Scott? Well, one of the things that it means is Peleg is the ancestor of Christ. Yes, how privileged is that? Exactly. But our concern here is that there in verse 25, it connects Peleg, whose name means division, with the earth being divided. And the question is, is that referring to the breakup of the earth itself? In other words, the breakup of Pangaea into the continents of the world today? Well, aside from what I think would be total devastation of everything and everyone on earth as a result of the magnitude of the earthquakes that would occur in such an event, the common literary device used in Hebrew narratives and genealogy is flashback. And in the initial paragraph, events or people are recorded with little detail. Then immediately following that generalized information, the next paragraph reveals specifics about something important that was only mentioned in the previous one. What chapter 11 is going to do in verses 1 through 9 is explain how and why in chapter 10 verse 25 it says, In Peleg's days the earth was divided. And also how the separation mentioned at the end of chapter 10 happened. Read Genesis 10.32 again, Scott. These are the families of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies by their nations, and out of these the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. And it was during the generation of Peleg that the division occurred, that division being orchestrated by God at the Tower of Babel. And one other thing to note, the number of generations listed from Ham to Nimrod is comparable to the number from Shem to Peleg. But the caveat to that is, remember, those names listed do not necessarily represent strict father-to-son relationships. There may be intervening generations. But the two lineages, Hams and Shems, leading to Nimrod and Peleg, seem to line up. But, Dr. Scripture, I still have a question. The verse we're discussing says the earth was divided. You don't seem to be interpreting it to mean the earth, but rather the people. Well, that's right. 
And actually, I'm interpreting it to mean the people of the earth. The Hebrew term is Eretz, and it is very widely used in the Bible. It occurs 2,500 times, and often in context, the sense is just that, the people of the earth. For example, in Genesis 6.11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. It's the people that were corrupt, and that sense is also demonstrated in many other verses. For example, in the last verse describing the events at the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11.9. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And then we'll also see that Eretz can simply mean the land, not the land with its people, because the rest of Genesis 11.9 goes on to say, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. And that, of course, would be talking about land. So it's the context that determines whether Eretz is meaning the people of the earth or the land itself. And I submit that in Genesis 10, verse 25, what is being divided when it says the earth was divided was the people of the earth, referring back to what happened at the Tower of Babel. So in Tim's question, if the earth was divided, in other words, the land, that is referring to the continents dividing, he was proposing that maybe that explained how marsupials ended up in Australia and not other parts of the world, at least in general. But I don't think that the idea of the earth, the land of earth, dividing during the days of Peleg is what Genesis 10, 25 is referring to. It's talking about the event that occurred at the Tower of Babel. And so as it says in Genesis 10, 25, And two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.